job is to come in and to, to take the Word of God and to open it up and to hit you over the head with it. And, you know, sometimes I, I get uh, caught up in the temptation to, to kind of pull back, to go a little easier, because from my perspective, I've got to get up here and I've got to hit you between the eyes with some truth. And I don't like being a bad guy. I don't want to bring the, the, the truth in a, in a way that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Or do I? And that's that tension that I live in. Because I know that the right thing, the loving thing, the good thing is to speak truth from God's word and to not hold back. And so I just want to tell you this morning, if when I get up here and I, and I preach like I'm going to this morning, if you feel a little uncomfortable in your skin, if you feel like, gosh... Every week it's something new and I keep coming up so far short. I'm, I'm sorry, but I didn't write this book. God wrote this book and God called me to take it and to preach to you from its truth so that you could be sharpened, so that you could be encouraged. And the great news is God never asked you to be all things and do all things. He said he would do that through you. God's power. The same God who spoke in the world appeared. The same God who gives you breath. The same God who died and rose from the dead. That powerful God wants to live in you and do all these things. What he's asking from you and I is that we would cooperate with him. That we would just align ourselves with what he's doing in us. So this isn't meant to beat you over the head with how far you are from being the man or the woman you're supposed to be. This is meant to encourage you that who you are now is not who you're going to be through Christ. He's got bigger plans for you than who you are today. Your life has meaning. It has purpose. And because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, it has power to be the man or the woman that God created you to be. So the first week we talked about being intentional. I said, look at your life. Do you have a plan? Do you know where you're going? You know what God is doing in your life? Because if you don't have a plan, if you're not being intentional, you're going to take the path of least resistance. You're going to go with the default. And according to God's word, the default setting for sinful men and women, it's not the direction God wants you to go. In fact, it's the opposite direction. You're running from God if you go with the default. So you've got to have a plan. It's going to take a, a good, solid game plan to get you going in the right direction. The second week, we talked about being relational. And by that, we mean knowing somebody intimately and letting them know you. It's this whole idea of accountability partners, of mentors. Is there somebody in your life who would tell you if you were messing up? Is there somebody in your life who would come and give you a big hug if you needed a hug? Does anybody know what's going on in your life at an intimate level? Got to be relational. If that's not there, you need to get it. And then last week, we talked about being communal, this whole idea of living in community, all of us being interconnected and remembering that if you're not here, when we gather together, we can't do your part. Your part gets left undone. You're the only provision God has for the plan for your life. It's not like someone's just going to step in and do your part for you. All of us depend on each other. You depend on me. I depend on you. And as a group, as a body, God promises that every need will be covered. 
He brings someone to do everything that he's called. God doesn't say, go and do this. I'm not going to give you the provision to do it, but go do it anyway. God doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't want us to fail as a church. So the provision is there if God's people respond. And I think sometimes we're tempted to think, well, my little part doesn't matter very much. They don't need me. That's a lie from Satan. You can do amazing things through the power of Jesus Christ. And what you do, nobody else can do. This whole idea of living in community, doing this together, we all depend on you to do your part. This morning, I want to look at a fourth sign of right living. I want to start off by telling you about a guy that I once knew. He was a great guy with a great personality. And when I first met him, I was really intrigued by every single conversation I had with this guy because he always had these fabulous ideas. And I remember when I first met him, he told me about this business he was going to start. He had the whole business plan laid out, and it just rolled off his tongue like he'd been thinking about it for years. And as I listened to him, I thought, I'm, I'm listening to a guy who's about to be extremely wealthy. I mean, the way that he described it, it was, it was a, a perfect opportunity for him at that time to make money, to succeed, to start this business. But he didn't just have ideas for business. He had ideas for ministry, too. He spoke of ways that we could reach out to the community like we'd never done before. Ways that we could connect with people on a real community level. And I go, that's a good idea. I like that idea. And so I really liked this guy from the moment I met him. The problem is, as the months went on, one month, two months, three months, and I would talk with this guy, the plans that he had, the dreams that he had, it didn't happen. And even worse yet, he stopped talking about those dreams. He stopped talking about that business. He stopped talking about those ministry opportunities. And instead, he shifted his focus and he said, I've got some other ideas. And he had some more good ideas. And over the course of a year, I heard so many great ideas. And they were legitimately good ideas. I don't want to say they were, they were dumb and he just thought they were. I thought they were good. I would love to have seen this guy just live out one of those. In the year that I knew him, he never lived out a single one. He was just on to the next idea. And we have a phrase for people like that. He was all talk and no action. Big talk, didn't live it out. And after knowing him for a period of time, I realized this is his life. He can, he can picture a better future. He can come up with a vision. But then it never happened. And I thought, what use is that? After a while, I didn't want to hang out with that guy that much anymore. Because when he was talking, I just want to go, oh, time out. That's never going to happen. You're wasting your breath. And I went from, wow, this guy's really sharp. He's useless. Nothing ever happens. I want to go hang out with people. Maybe they don't have great ideas, but they show up. Something happens. They do something. And I think that that idea is at the core of what God asks each one of us to do as Christians. St. Francis of Assisi said, Preach the gospel at every moment and use words. You have to. Your life attitude, the things that you're involved in, should preach the truth of God's Word. You simply can't be a Christian. Follow God, a Christ follower, 
take no action. God's Word doesn't have a description of that Christian anywhere. Everywhere in the Bible, when it talks about following Christ, it talks about not only hearing, but doing what God has asked you to do. One day, a guy came to church late, walked in near the end of the service, went up to one of the greeters and said, hey, is the sermon over yet? Before he walked in. The greeter turned to him and said, the sermon's been preached, but it has yet to be done. And I think that's the right perspective. We can talk all we want. This morning, all I'm going to do is talk at you. None of us are doing anything this morning. But what a useless activity this is. If I get up here and I talk at you, and you listen and you go, that's a good idea. I like that. And then none of us do anything different in our lives. What a waste that would be. The book of James pretty much hits that message out of the park. I'm going to read two passages to you this morning. One we're just going to, we're going to read, and they're probably both familiar to you. The other one we're going to break down a little bit. I want to start off in James chapter 2 and read verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, 14 to 26. And again, I know this is familiar to some, but this is that passage that talks about what good is it if you have faith without any works or any deeds. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith, faith is by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. Shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James starts this passage by asking a question that I think every one of us needs to ask ourselves daily. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? James is saying here, what good is it if you're all talk, no action? And the answer is clear in the passage it follows. It's no good whatsoever. You can talk all you want, but talk is not enough. There has to be action. Now, it's good to talk about things that are righteous. It's good to have dreams of a better future. But if they're not attached to action, they're useless. They're empty. They have no value. So James says that kind of faith is worthless. 
has to have action. And this morning what I want to do is I want to look at another passage in James. I don't want to talk about this one in a little bit more depth because I think it explains to us how we can avoid being talked and no action. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to spend the rest of our time in uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. So if you could just turn back one page. Chapter 1, 21 to 27. In this passage it says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If anyone who listens to the word, if anyone listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, in both the passages that I read this morning, there's mention made of knowing the right thing. In the first passage that I read, it says that you believe God is good. Even demons believe that. Knowing right from wrong does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. It's doing the right and choosing not to do the wrong that makes the difference. Do you choose Christ or you just know about him? In verse 21, it says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. You know, you can go outside of the church and you can talk about what's right and what's wrong. And the world has a view that it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to drink yourself into a stupor. All of these things cause bad stuff to happen. You don't believe me? Drink a six-pack, get in your car, and drive down the street. And see if they don't pull you over and give you a DUI. They're not still trying to figure out if that's right or wrong. They know it's wrong. The difference between the church and those outside of the church is that we know that we need to avoid what's wrong through the power of Jesus Christ and be transformed so that we no longer do the wrong, we do the right. The world would like to do righteous things, but they'd also like to do some unrighteous things. And they don't have any power to do the right thing. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God said, don't eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. God wasn't trying to keep something beautiful from them. He was trying to keep them from being tempted to do something they had no power to resist. And once they knew about evil and they had this choice, I could choose wrong or I could choose right, they started to choose wrong over and over and over. And it's only through the power of God's Holy Spirit, which is available to us because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that you and I can actually have victory over sin, this desire to do wrong. God gives us in the church God's body, an opportunity to choose right, to choose good, and to avoid what is wrong. So James reminds us that we're to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Has no place in your life. 
And you have the opportunity through God's Spirit. He's given you the power to say no to sin. I don't want to do it. I choose not to sin anymore. And God can give you that that power to live that way. He says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. How do you know right from wrong? Ultimately, it comes again from this, this book, God's word, the Bible. God tells you that's wrong, that's right. Now, you have a conscience. Sometimes you know, but your conscience can become seared. But this is outside of you. This doesn't change because your mood changes. This doesn't change because you were raised poorly. This doesn't change because you've got a low self-image. This doesn't change because somebody cut you off on the freeway. This stays the same. And so if you allow God's word to be planted in you, to change you, to inform you, to show you right from wrong, then you can actually choose to do right things and put off the wrong things. Once God's truth is in you, then you have the opportunity to change. Doesn't mean you changed. It means you have the opportunity, and that's the first place that we have to go here. Do you know right from wrong? And do you have the opportunity to choose the right over the wrong? James says you do if you have the Lord in you, and he says that you should choose wisely. He says that if you humbly accept this truth, humbly means it's not about you, it's about God. If you humbly accept this truth, it can save you. It can save you from going down the wrong path and send you down the right path. You have to know the word of God. Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. There's a direct link between hearing and doing. You know what's right? Then do it. You've got to know it first. You've got to do it second. And they're linked. In Isaiah 55, 10, it says this about the word of God. As the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and do not return there without watering the earth, and making the barren sprout, and furnishing the seed to the sower and the bread to the eater, so will my words be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and succeeding in the name of which I sent it. Isaiah, we're reminded that God's word can change you from the inside. It changes you and, and renews you. There's the knowing and there's the doing. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing, the soul and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word convicts, it changes, it renews your mind. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. Knowing and doing. You can start in Genesis, read to Revelation. You'll find the same message over and over and over. Know what is right, do what is right. Know what is right, do what is right. That's God's expectation. That's why he put his spirit in you. That's why he gave you power to be an overcomer. That's why it says you can be renewed. God wants to change you from the inside out. Not just so you can talk the talk so that you can walk the walk. God expects that those two will be linked. And so he goes on in verse 22 of this passage, James does to say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. 
do what it says. God expects you to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Did you know that you can rationalize anything? You were born with this ability. From the time you were a child up until this very day, you can rationalize anything. If you don't let people speak into your life and you don't read the word of God, you could actually believe that you're a good person. People do it all the time. There's people walking all around this city, maybe even some here this morning. I'm a good person. Not what the Word of God says. Come hang out with me for a week. I'll point out all the places where you're not good. There's nobody good in here. The Bible says none are righteous. No, not one. All of our righteousness, according to the Scriptures, is like filthy rags. God's not impressed with you. All by yourself, you're actually pretty rotten. You're selfish. You think way too highly of yourself most of the time. You love looking down on other people and pointing out their faults. I do too. It's our nature. Unless God changes you from the inside out, that's the way we are. Which means that you and I have a built-in ability to deceive ourselves. I can say wrong is right. I can say evil is good if it suits me. And James says that many people listen to the word of God and then they deceive themselves. They say, that's me, when in fact it's not. Are you a Christian? Have you deceived yourself? Do you have an honest view of yourself? Can you answer that question from the perspective of God's word? From the perspective of the Holy Spirit? Or do you simply answer that question from your own perspective? Because I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of people that live in this city that say, I'm a Christian. And they're not. Not according to this book. How do you know you're right with God? Have you checked it out? Have you, is, is there anybody else that can vouch for you? Does it line up with the truth of God's word? Or are you just walking around a self-deceived fool? Because James says, don't deceive yourself. If you're not doing it, you don't believe it. You're just deceiving yourself. We used to play a game. haven't played it for years now. I think there's a good reason. It's called True Colors. I don't know if anybody's heard of it, but it's a game where you, you sit down and, and uh, there's a question asked about a person. For instance, you could ask a question uh, like, which tree is Dan more like? Or which, which plant is Dan more like? It could be an oak tree. It could be a shrub. It could be whatever. And each of the other te- people that are playing picks which one they think is most like you. And then everyone turns their cards over, and you get points if you pick the same one that everyone else does. In other words, you get rewarded in this game if you pick, if you know that everybody else is going to say you're like an oak tree, and you put down oak tree, then you get points. But if you said, I'm like a towering oak, and everyone else said, you're like a shrub bush, you get no points. Now, if they all pick that, then they can get some points. So it's just seeing if, if your true colors, if who you really are lines up with who other people think you are. We don't play this game anymore because it really upsets folks. I mean, I can't tell you. We've had people when we're playing this game, they're mad for weeks because everybody else said I was something that, that I don't think I am. And instead of, instead of looking at themselves and going, maybe I'm deceiving myself, they said, you guys are all wrong. I have an accurate view of self, but you guys are all wrong. You don't know me. And sometimes we're playing that game with people that really know each other well, like family. It's a dangerous game. If you, if you want to really stir the pot one of these days, go buy that game and play it. 
But, you know, we have an ability to, de- to deceive ourselves. Even though everybody around us knows what's going on, what our issues are, we don't ask them. We just keep doing our own thing. And we tell ourselves, I'm okay. I'm doing my best. I'm doing better than that person over there. Self-deception. Look into the Word of God and do what it says. You know, I was thinking as I put that point down, what if somebody's sitting there this morning and they go, well, that's definitely not me, though. I mean, I, I don't deceive myself. I have an accurate view of self. What have you done differently as a result of a single sermon that I've preached over the last month? Have you done anything differently? Or did you sit here and shake your head and go, amen, pastor. That's the word of God. Preach it. We need to hear it. And then walk out and do nothing different. If you can't point to a single thing that you've done differently over the last month, I wonder if maybe you're one of these people who deceives themselves. Because James says, don't merely listen. Do it. Because if you don't, you're deceiving yourself. Then verse 25 says, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. I want you to notice in that passage, three different times, there's a form of this doing. It says, do, doing, does. Paul doesn't repeat himself for no purpose. I'm sorry, James doesn't repeat himself for no purpose. When he says three times here, do, doing, does, he wants you to get this. The main point here, you got to do something with, with the Word of God. The truth that's been given to you has to be lived out. If it's not lived out, what good is it? You know, he, uh, he says we'll be blessed if we actually do something with the truth that's been given to us. I think there's a lot of people in the Christian church that are saying, I need more blessing in my life. Things aren't going the way I wanted them to go. I'd like to have this. I'd like to do that. I'd like to change here. And I wonder if maybe we're not blessed because we're not doing anything with what we've already been given. We're saying, God, thanks a lot for giving me that truth. That's nice and all. But what I really like is over there. And we want God to give us what we want instead of respond to what he's asked us to do. If you would do what God has already asked you to do, maybe God would give you more. Maybe you would be more blessed. Maybe you'd sleep better at night. Maybe you'd have more peace in your life. Maybe your relationships would go a little bit better. Maybe your boss would appreciate you a little bit more. If you just do what God already asked you to do. Long as I've been in the Christian church, there's been a new flavor of the month every year. There's some program or something that's sweeping through the Christian church and everybody's, oh, we got to do 40 days of purpose. It's amazing. Promise Keepers, Alpha Course. Dave Ramsey is hot as can be right now. Financial Peace University. All those great programs. I've done them all. I love them all. But where, where are they now? We're just on to the next thing all the time. And I go and I meet with pastors and they go, you know what we need to be doing? Here's the next big thing. And everybody wants to be on the front end of the wave of the next big thing. And I think, we don't need the next big thing. We've got 2,000 years of church history. We've got the Word of God. If we would just do the basic things, like love your neighbor as yourself, we could change the world. But we don't want to do that. We go, God, what I want's over there. We want to have this big old campaign, and we want to get everybody there, and we want to, we want to rent out the ball stadium. We want to have like 60,000 people in one place. What do you think, God? God says, could you just love your neighbor as yourself? 
I mean, we really are like that as Christians. We want the big thing. We want, we want to be in the exciting wave. And I realize God wants us to just do what he asks us to do. The scriptures are pretty plain what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Verse 27 says, religion that our God and Father accepts is pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Martin Luther said, the world does not need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration. This world is longing for something that works. And people try all kinds of things from self-help to I mean, right now, wherever you're at politically, Obama is, is, is the thing right now. People have hope that the messed up stuff in this society is finally going to get addressed. But I'm here to tell you, the truth has been in front of us the whole time. It's right here. It's the word of God. If people align with this, it works. If you do this, it works. If you do anything else... You're going to cause more harm than good. You've got to align yourself with the word of God. The world is waiting for a demonstration of the power of God to change lives, to save lives. And the church all too often is too busy talking and not doing. And so James says, you've got to be doers and not just hearers. And he mentions two ways that we can do this. He says, number one, look after orphans and widows. Later in that, the passage that I read from James uh, chapter 2, he says, if someone comes to you and they're hungry and they're cold, don't just say, go away, be well-fed and warm. You've got to actually do something. What do we do as a church? What do you do as an individual to help people out in a very real way? Do you just preach at them? I'll, tell them, I'll, I'll read a verse to them. Okay, that's not bad. You're giving them some truth. But you've got to do something, too. It's the hearing plus the doing that makes the difference. And I think James points out orphans and widows here because they can't give anything back. It's not that you can't help out somebody who's not an orphan. You can't help out somebody who's not a widow. But if you want to know if your motives are right, help somebody who can't give anything back. No prestige. No monetary reward. They're not going to be able to write an article in the newspaper about you. They have nothing to give back. When you help those people, you know that you're not just a hearer, but a doer. And he balances that out with saying, keep yourself polluted from the world. You could go out and feed all the homeless people in Sacramento. But if you're living a life of sin at the same time, you haven't really understood how to hear and then do the word of God. It's a combination of getting your hands dirty in ministry with people and keeping yourself away from sin that will easily suck you in. If you can do those two things, God says, I think you understood the word of God. That's not a, a deceptive life where you're deceiving yourself. That's a life of truth. So the question this morning, how can we make sure that we don't walk away from the word of God and not apply it to our lives? I want to read you the most sobering passage in all of Scripture. Matthew 21 or Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you get that? 
does. You're going to find it all throughout your scripture. You start reading, it's talking about do, 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 do. What do you do? What have you done? He says, who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into action is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You want to know if you're right with God? You want to know if you're on the right track? Look at the life that you've just left behind. Are you doing anything? Are you doing anything with the truth that's been given to you? Are you responding by taking truth and turning it into action? Are you living a life where you're putting off sinful habits? Are you living a life where you're helping out people who need help? Because if the answer is no, then I'm fearful for your soul. Because nowhere can I find in the scriptures that it says it's enough to hear a sermon, to shake your head, and that's all God asks of you. God is asking you to respond. Do what God has asked you to do. It's ministry. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Every single person that's here this morning, you and I, all of us, have a calling on our lives. God made you for a purpose. He didn't make you just to take up space. And he's allowed you to be exposed to his truth. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've never put faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to take care of some business. And you can do that this morning. You can pray this morning that God would come into your heart, into your life, and change you from the inside out. Because if God's not in your life, this change will never happen. If that's you, you need to pray this morning and ask God to come into your life. Accept His forgiveness. Accept His death on the cross in your place. It's as simple as putting faith in Him. But then once you've done that, you need to do what God asks you to do. Continue to learn from God's Word. Continue to show up at Sunday services, small group, adult education, opportunities to meet up with a a mentor or an accountability partner. Time just with the Lord opening your Bible and reading the Word of God. If you will let God's Word pour into your life and then respond in faith to what He's asked you to do, it'll change your life. And as it changes your life, it'll change every life around you. That's what God made you for. That's what He made me for. If you haven't grabbed hold of that truth, you're missing out on the purpose and the meaning of your life. What a shame that is. God gave you the gift of life, and you would miss out on that purpose. The world is full of greed, hatred, envy, materialism, hedonism, selfishness. People are hurt. People are broken. Marriages suffer. Kids suffer. People are cold. People are hungry. People are afraid. People are depressed. That's the world we live in. How could you not care about that? Jesus was moved to tears at the sight of the brokenness in the world around him when he walked on this earth. And in response to that, Jesus gave everything he had his his entire life, not just his death on the cross, but up until that moment, every moment of his life, he lived so that he could respond to truth 
And he could bring hope and healing to the world. And he healed many in his time here on this earth. And then when Jesus died and he rose from the dead, he said to you and to me, to the church, now I want you to do what I did, continue that work of healing. God wants you and he wants me to bring healing to this world. So I want to ask you again this morning, what is your ministry? What do you do to bring healing in this world? What can you tangibly present as evidence that you don't just talk the talk, but that you walk the walk? Holt family's here this morning. They've welcomed all of you to go down and visit them this summer. Go on a mission trip. Go down and serve people. Give to people who can't give anything back. It'd be a great opportunity for you to serve, to respond to what God's asked you to do. We have opportunities here within this church to serve in many different ministry teams. We get up here and we say, well, the children's ministry needs help. For those of you who got the reporter this week, the coffee, bagels, donuts, all that's set up there in the back for you to enjoy, they could use some help. And you know, I can't think of one of our ministry teams that has too much help. Are you doing anything? Because I should be able to look out and say, every one of these people is involved in building the kingdom. And that's the confidence that I have that that person is right with God. You should be able to say the same for yourself. Whatever action God has prompted you to take this morning, I encourage you to do it. Don't just hear it from me or from the Holy Spirit speaking within you from the Word of God, but do what God has asked you to do. Don't wait until you forget or you'll be like James says, the person who looks in the mirror, walks away. Don't remember what I look like. God has given you an opportunity again this morning to be a doer and not just a hearer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for an opportunity once again to be sharpened by your word. Lord, without your word, so many of us would deceive ourselves and we would say, I'm good. I think I'm doing everything right. But Lord, your word continues to convict us. It sharpens us and it helps us to understand the places where we come up short. Lord, I pray this morning that each one of us would take a very sober look at our lives. What we do with our energy, with our time, with our money, with all the resources you've given us. And that, Lord, each one of us would grasp on to those things that you've asked us to do. Lord, that we wouldn't try and do more than you've asked us to do. But, Lord, we wouldn't settle for doing less. Lord, because I know that there are some who are here this morning who have failed to understand the beauty of really living by giving away. Lord, when we give, we receive so much more back. Lord, I pray that each one of us here at Restoration Life would not only be a hearer, but a doer of your word. Lord, change us from the inside. Make us the men and women that you want us to be. Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. If there's anybody who wants to put faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, please come and see me. I would love nothing more than to have that conversation with you. We're going to do one more song. I don't know if we have words. Are we going to have words, Rick?
I'm getting. So you're going to have to wing this. And it's kind of a new song, but it's pretty easy. I'm going to kind of teach you a little bit of the chorus real quick, just so you have something <clears throat> that'll be easy to sing. It goes like this. I can't hold my love back from you. I can't hold my love back from you. I've got to sing. I've got to sing. Sing my love. That's how it goes. I'll do it one more time. I can't hold my love back from you. Can't hold my love back from you. I've got to sing. I've got to sing. Sing my love. Come on now, let's everybody, let's let's try it. I can't. I can't hold my love back from you. I can't hold my love back from you. I've got to sing. I've got to sing. Sing my love. We'll do it again. I can't hold my love back from you. I can't 